Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino. Download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Good evening. Hi there, everybody. This is Clubhouse Ambassador's Corner on the Italian Wine Club, and my name is Dory Livingston, and I'm standing in for Stevie Kim tonight. She is presently in Sardinia. Uh, she just flew there, so she's probably still at the airport, I'm imagining, but uh, for, I believe it's the Gita Scolastica, and so she's going to be visiting lots of uh, wineries and generally doing all wine things related. So uh, Laika and I, Laika, the clubhouse manager, Laika, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Laika. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be the moderators this evening. So the Ambassador's Corner is essentially something that was started to allow ambassadors and wine lovers the opportunity to interview their favorite producers. There's just so many in Italy. And so we're going we're gonna to get started. This is going to probably be recorded unless there's any snafus. And then it will go on the Italian Wine Podcast in the next few weeks. This is the 16th episode of this program. So this has definitely been very, very popular. I think what I'm going to do is introduce our um, guest moderator or our guest host for this evening, uh, Luca Casolari, who um, will be interviewing Guglielmo Bertani. And he's going to introduce Guglielmo. But um, let me just, uh, are you there, Luca? Yes, I am, Joy. Hi, hi. I'm just going to give a quick introduction to you. Okay, (laughs) so you are one of the most recent Italian wine ambassadors for Vinitaly International Academy, and you qualified in the latest Barona edition in June 2021. And um, you're a WSET diploma holder and wine educator since 2018. And you've worked as a wine buyer and educator in Dubai from 2015 to 2019. And, which is really cool, by the way, I've always wanted to go to Dubai, P.S. And you're currently working for Moet Hennessy in Spain. Can I ask where in Spain? Yes, you can. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually working in Ibiza. I'm currently here in Ibiza and I, I spend the whole year over here. Uh, so that's, that's my area. Uh, I'm, I'm a lucky one. Yeah, isn't it? Is it true that Ibiza is like the party central center of of Europe? Yeah, I would I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. It's a, it's a great place to be. You are uh, most welcome to come visit one, anytime you want. So 
Oh gosh, don't say that to me because I'll be on the next flight. The invitation, the invitation, the invitation is out there for you, Lika. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, Guglielmo as well. Uh, you're all invited, guys. Yeah, I'll take uh, take you up on that invitation. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> don't say it twice. <laughs> all right. So I have a couple of questions to ask before you get started. So um, why did you choose Guglielmo Bertani to be your producer of choice? So it's uh, it's a little bit of an uh, uh, you know uh, emotional uh, situation. Uh, I I've been I've been uh, grow, I grew up. I'm uh, I'm originally from the outside of. Uh, countryside of Modena, from the Bassa Padana, uh, let's say, small village. And uh, it's about one hour driving from uh, the um, DOCG of uh, Amarona della Valpolicella. I, um, I've been outside of Italy for the past uh, 12 years, really. And uh, at any time I have an opportunity to go back home, uh, uh, I used to go with my brother up to, uh, to Garda Lake, uh, you know, Sirmione, Peschiera, De Senzano. And I always pay a visit to, to Negrar to visit some winery, having some tasting. And uh, my brother and I fell in love with the, with the, with the wine from Bertani, with the Amarone della Valpolicella, uh, particularly. Uh, the Tenuta Santa Maria, and uh, it became a little bit of uh, of um, let's say a ritual, no? To go visit, have some, uh, buy some bottle of Santa Maria, and uh, and have it with the family. So when I was asked to choose a, a producer, it, ca- it was it was kind of natural uh, natural reaction, you know, instinctive reaction to to pick Bertani. Awesome. Okay. Well, that I, I would say it's a great choice too, because I, I think um, we were recently at Bertani um, for an event they held, and it's it's an absolutely stunning place to visit. And yeah, I, I hope I hope that this interview is gonna get me an invitation to the <laughs> to the to the state itself. No. <laughs> of course, of course, it will. <laughs> Always welcome. Okay, so my next question is, what are the learning objectives that we should expect from this interview? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, uh, of course, this, uh, this podcast is, uh, is based on uh, education. So uh, I, think is, uh, I think having Guglielmo is a great opportunity to get to know a little bit more about uh, uh, the history of Amarone. I mean, uh, uh, there, is, uh, there is some very interesting story with Bertani that we're going to discuss later. Uh, they're all played by traditional uh, Veronese grape varietal um, and, of course, uh, mm, method of production and some more information about, you know, uh, the technique of ripasso and uh, wine, wine making, uh, wine making uh, technique that are uh, popular in that area. I think it's a, it's a good opportunity. Cool. Okay. And um, you've probably already sort of touched on this, but how did you first discover the wines of Tenutas? Uh, how did you first, did you, did you like, when was the first time you, you sipped one of their wines or did you like stumble across it? Yeah, I, th- I think it was, uh, I mean, one of my, one of my trip in, uh, in Veneto, uh, one of my wine trip to Veneto with my brother, we've been, uh, we were kind of, you know, uh, browsing around uh, Enotecas and, uh, <laughs> tasting some wine we fell in love with uh, with um, with the wine from uh, uh, Guglielmo and uh, yeah we 
we bought a batch. I think, uh, I don't, I don't want to say a mistake, but I think it was a, a vintage 2007 of uh, Tenuta Santa Maria Marone Classico. And uh, my brother is not a fast drinker, so we still have it to, the day, to this day. And every time I go to Italy, we, we open a bottle. So it's, it's, it became a tradition. Uh, I started, uh, I think, in 2013, a few years ago already, and uh, we keep it going. That sounds awesome. Well, Luca, I am going to um, give the floor to you now and let you do your thing with Guglielmo. And um, go ahead, guys. I'm going to get back to you after so that we can maybe open up for questions if we have time. Um, so go ahead. So I think uh, first, first thing first, uh, uh, Guglielmo deserve a proper introduction. So uh, Guglielmo Bertani is the co-owner of uh, Tenuta Santa Maria di Gaetano Bertani together with his uh, brother Giovanni that I believe was uh, a guest also the ambassador corner at some stage. Uh, he represents the sixth generation of Bertani family and uh, he has joined the, the business full-time uh, quite recently at the beginning of 2021. Uh, he previously was, was in uh, Hong Kong on a different type of business as a vice president of, uh, for the Asian market of Timex Group, uh, mostly lo looking after uh, luxury watch brand. Uh, so is it, this is a passion that we have in common, Guglielmo. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, is, uh, it is also interesting because it was looking after China, USA, and Hong Kong. Uh, there might be some question about... Uh, uh, you know, uh, export market for Amarone. Um, today, again, is the sixth generation. Guglielmo and uh, Bertani family continue the tradition. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited to have him here and I'm very much looking forward to have some, uh, uh, to start the, the interview. Are you ready, Guglielmo? I'm, I'm ready. I'm honored. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, you know, you get to know us uh, and, and, and appreciate us so well. So, I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I try to do uh, the best job possible uh, answering your question, knowing that you're, you know us so well already. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm sure you'll do just great. So uh, I, I, really, I really cannot uh, have you here talking to me and not ask you anything about uh, uh, Acinatico, uh, 1928. I mean, it's, uh, it, would be, it would be a sin not to do that. So uh, is probably one of the first things that I'm passionate and definitely the people that follow this channel are uh, thinking of when, uh, when hearing the name Bertani as a um, old and great history uh, of tradition. And I would like you to give us a little bit of a, of a brief on uh, what is this Acinatico 1928, why is, uh, is so special, and, uh, and why is it considered, let's say, the, the, the father, or including the, the grandfather of uh, Amarone? Yes, so Luca, thank you very much for the question. I think, of course, it's a very, very interesting topic. Uh, uh, Acinatico, you know, for us, uh, has a, almost a sacred status uh, inside our family, and uh, we love to talk about it, and we treasure it very much. So, you know, Acinatico is a name that is associated with the Veneto region since a very long time. So there was a wine called Acinatico, uh, and there's documents talking about uh, 
Accinati course since uh, the year 503 after Christ. That is, uh, that is uh, more than 1,500 years ago. And, uh, you know, it was a wine described as being similar to Recioto at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it probably was produced uh, throughout the region uh, uh, ever since. Coming to, uh, you know, more recent history and what is uh, associated with our family. In the 1920s, our family was producing this, uh, this Acinatico wine uh, only in uh, very uh, exceptional uh, vintages, which 1921, 1928 uh, was, was, uh, was, one, was one of. And uh, was uh, used uh, these grapes that were similar in a uh, very, similar, very similar process uh, to the Recioto, the sweet red wine from Veneto, where the, the grapes would be selected on, uh, on the, on, in the vineyards, uh, dried for about three to four months, and uh, what made the Acinatico very special and why we consider it as an as a ancestor to Amarone is that uh, the uh, sugars were developed uh, into alcohol to a greater extent than what they did with the uh, Recioto sweet wine. So the Recioto sweet wine coming also from dried, dried grapes uh, ended up with still 80, 100, even 120 grams per liter of residual sugar. And that was the typical wine from Verona. Acinatico, 1928, and the previous vintages, uh, developed uh, to 10 degree, 10, 10 grams per liter of sugar, about, and uh, 16 to 17 degrees alcohol. So that made it a style of wine that is uh, very close to what we call today, uh, you know, a modern Amarone. Although, you know, Amarones, there's uh, the drier styles that we make, you know, about three, four grams per liter. There's more, you know, residual sugar ones at about uh, 13, 14. Uh, Acinatico in itself uh, at around uh, 10. That was very much in line with what you would uh, define today as, uh, as, uh, as an Amarone. So at the time, they were making this style of wine, Acinatico, which basically was... Uh, a, a, a in line with the Amarone, although it wasn't called Amarone yet. And that's, you know, very interesting uh, that, uh, that, that, that that happened, you know, they, and then the name Amarone uh, came later. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk about that. But Acinatico was really much in line with that. And, uh, you know, coming to the history of the 28, it was a very special, uh, very special harvest uh, that we see on the, on the registry of uh, our family. It was a uh, it was uh, dried for about three and a half months. It was uh, um, fermented and aged for about 10 years in, in a one big cask of about 60 hectoliters, so about uh, yeah, uh, 6,000 liters, and uh, bottled about 10 years later in 1938 and uh, in these uh, handmade, uh, handmade uh, bottles. And uh, really, right after bottling or a couple of years after World War II broke out, and uh, we had the Germans, uh, German army stationed uh, right next to our to our uh, winery in in uh, Grezzana at the time, our old winery over there. And the Germans would go every day into the winery every evening and pick up a few bottles for 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 their enjoyment without asking. We couldn't say no, or um, family couldn't say no. So my great grandfather decided at some point to uh, take these. Uh, whole batch of uh, 1928, uh, almost 7,000 bottles, and actually hide it away. It was uh, buried uh, in a farmhouse behind uh, on the hills behind the winery, buried under the floor of the farmhouse with, with hay above and below it. And uh, 
you know, in case, you know, after the war, we, we, we needed something to restart the business, basically. This wine would be there, this amazing wine would be there and could be utilized to restart the business. But then, you know, the war ended, it never was really needed. Uh, family knew it was there, but never really went back until actually this farmhouse was uh, restored. Uh, in uh, 1986, they, they were doing some work. They reopened this floor and they found these 7,000 bottles, which ended up being uh, perfectly preserved. Uh, in, in a way, the, the wine was uh, amazing, uh, you know, with, 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 uh, still with this freshness to it, and actually still is. And uh, so it sort of became this uh, very unique, uh, very unique story, you know, for our family. I would say also within Italy to have, you know, six, seven thousand bottles of, of a vintage uh, that old uh, at the time was was quite unique. The bottles, you know, then you know uh, were used for different uh, different uses, and ended up our family right now as a Tenuta Santa Maria. We still have uh, a little more than two thousand bottles in uh, in our in our uh, private uh, reserve, and it's something that reserva, and it's something that uh, I, I guess I guess uh, I guess not for sales, no. Well. <laughs> We, we, tell, we tend really not to not to sell it. Uh, we have a few selected customers uh, where you know we would uh, we, we, we would agree to actually give them uh, a few bottles. But it's usually something we use for uh, for uh, for events. Here yeah, we do have taste tasting events. Uh, we we had an auction uh, for you know a charity in Hong Kong and one in New York where we, we, we auctioned a few bottles, but it's very much something we treasure very much. We, we were not very much into the business of selling this, this wine as much as, uh, you know, giving it uh, to the next generation. And myself, I think I've tasted it uh, five times in my, in my life. So I was lucky enough, you know, my father at the time when he was still alive, he said, you know, we're going to open only when you have uh, uh, kids. So I was lucky enough to have two kids. So I, I tasted two bottles on that occasion, on those two occasions, and uh, a few others for events. But I, I tell you, you know, the wine today is very much evolved into something that uh, resembles uh, port. Is up to seventeen, above seventeen degrees uh, alcohol in uh, in, uh, in structure as a, as a still uh, some residual sugar. We suspect uh, that through the years, uh, you know, the sugar slowly developed uh, further uh, fermented and, and went up to these seventeen degrees. But it's uh, incredibly drinkable, incredibly drinkable. And then you know, if you're happen to be on one of these events uh, where we open a bottle, I will uh, I will uh, be more than happy to taste it with you. Finger, finger crossed, finger crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Hope to have that privilege someday. Absolutely. Uh, Guglielmo, the, the story the story is uh, is unbelievable, uh, really, is uh, is a piece of, uh, you know, is a really a real piece of history and uh, congratulations. Uh, you touched based on, on, your, on your father, on your family and... Uh, um, you know, your your family has been an uh, an essential uh, driver of innovation in uh, in the region and in the in the DOCG of um, Amarone della Valpolicella, uh, Recioto. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was one of the first Veneto producer to introduce uh, uh, the Guyot training system, Green Harvest, uh, which back in the day was crazy, high density planting. <laughs> so. I think I think it would be interesting to know a bit more about it, how that come about. I believe there is some connection also. I, I believe with uh, with Burgundy or with um... yeah, absolutely. So the the story there goes that uh, you know the the, the family was already into the wine business uh, since uh, the seventeen hundreds. 
so for, for quite a long time. But when it came to the around the 1850s, uh, both uh, Bertani brothers, so Giovanni Battista and Gaetano, were part of the resistance. So Verona was still under Austrian domination. They were uh, part of this resistance for you know the liberation of, of, of Verona, for Verona to join uh, the Italian state, and they were exiled. So they kicked out of Verona. One of them uh, stopped in uh, stopped in uh, Milano, and the other one took the occasion actually went all the way to Burgundy, where he spent uh, uh, quite a few months uh, uh, knowing uh, Mr. Guyot, the, 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 the famous agronomist, who actually had just uh, developed this Guyot training system of, of pruning and renewing, uh, and renewing uh, the, the, the vine every year. And uh, what happened is that when, when uh, you know, the, 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 the second uh, War of Independence was over, Verona at some point went, uh, actually was part of, of Italy. The, the two brothers came back and actually really introduced this uh, Guyot training system uh, to Verona, which at the time was uh, an extreme innovation that, uh, you know, people first said that they were, they, would, they were crazy to do something like that. Then uh, over time, it really developed into a... a, a, a uh, something extremely unique, and uh, you know, with, with helped uh, Bertani build its uh, its uh, its uh, uh, um, fame as you know as as as, as a quality reference producer in, uh, in, uh, in, in Verona. You have to imagine at the time, uh, you know, vineyards, uh, you would have vineyards uh, which, with, with mixed, uh, with mixed, uh, uh, mixed, mixed with other cultures. So you would have, you know, cherry trees and some vineyards. Uh, where you have full vineyards, it was with the pergola method, uh, with the you know, high, 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 high production. And they came with the Guyot system, uh, uh, creating, uh, producing high quality, high quality uh, grapes for high quality wines and was something extremely unique and my father always said you know that, that, that by the 1890s uh, the Bertani family was making as much revenue in one year uh, per, 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 per any given actor as the value of the land itself so actually they would they would double the value of the land uh, with every with every with every uh, um, with every with every harvest so that was a uh, Extremely, you know, a, a, an extreme, uh, extreme uh, jump forward for the viticulture in the Verona region, and uh, of course, you know, the two brothers were, were part of it. And you know, it's not only that that you know, we, as, as a family, we really value innovation a lot, and we try even today to keep it uh, a, a very, very open, uh, a very open mind when we look at uh, viticulture and 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 of course uh, vinification. Meaning, we we tend to travel a lot. We tend to 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 exchange, you know, and, and work with friends, uh, or French agronomists, uh, to actually to actually see if, if there's something we can learn. And uh, my father himself actually imported uh, a little a piece of France uh, in the 1990s by planting some in, in international grape varietals such as uh, Merlot, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon in uh, East of Verona and Colonnelli Colli, using uh, high density high density vineyards at more than 10,000 vine per hectare. So really very much uh, with a similar mindset as our ancestors and uh, but you know for us innovation is not only of course looking at uh, abroad or looking at France uh, or looking at you know other regions uh, it's also very much working with uh, local varietals as much as we can uh, especially you know when we talk about Valpolicella Classica we are very very much uh, uh, concentrate on using only local grey varietals, and we're working to, to reintroduce uh, uh, additional grey varietals in the in the blend. 
So in the vineyards first, and of course afterwards in the in the, in the blend. Some of them uh, are which which are almost uh, almost uh, have almost disappeared uh, through the years uh, here in in, in Valpolicella, but which would, would really uh, you know we are working towards that to actually add to the complexity and really work to uh, to, to 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 enhance uh, the character of our. Uh, Valpolicellas and and, uh, and uh, Amarones and uh, you know other things we're also doing in terms of innovation is also we're working towards um, what we have to actually plant the next vineyards and next development uh, is going to be at uh, uh, new vineyards planted at a higher altitude in, in a way to compensate for uh, for this uh, global warming that actually it's really taking effect in uh, in. Uh, Verona in Veneto, and I mean, especially here, but I'm sure everywhere else as well, where you know we, we had Amarone, Amarone harvest now have moved uh, about a month earlier compared to the 1970s. So we would uh, pick the grapes, not me, but our family would pick the grapes in the 70s uh, around uh, for the Amarone for the drying uh, uh, beginning middle of October. Now it's beginning middle of September, so it's it's really changing uh, the character of the wine, and we have to in a way, innovate and look beyond what we do today to, uh, to compensate for this. Uh, Guglielmo, th- thank you very much for the explanation. Uh, it's uh, very interesting. Uh, sticking on the innovation topics, um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that uh, your family was also responsible of uh, the, the creation of the Ripasso method. Is, is that all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ripasso was uh, sort of like an open secret in, inside Bertani that uh, has always been uh, has always been uh, utilized uh, since the 1800s, and actually, in a way, absolutely predates Amarone. So today, you know, we say a Valpolicella Ripasso is connected to the Amarone or is a baby Amarone, but it's not uh, entirely correct because Ripasso was done in uh, in, uh, in our family in the 1800s on the uh, skins of the Recioto. So at the time we were making uh, this, uh, drying the grapes to make a sweet ricciotto wines, and then we do ripasso on the skins of the ricciotto. The result would be, you know, Valpolicellas, uh, which were quite, uh, quite, uh, would probably different from what you would see today. So more with a, with a, a higher sugar content, eh? so more amabili in a way. Uh, but absolutely, that was the ripasso method that that, that was uh, in the family since uh, since the, the, the eighteen. I believe, really, since the family family was in the wine business, it was a way, you know, to uh, not uh, not waste the great character eh, you had on the skins of the ricciotto uh, fermentation. So complex aromas, strong tannins, uh, this great sugar content. Uh, and uh, and you know and in terms of uh, and in terms of then putting on the label that came very very much later because uh, it wasn't until the 80s that some producers started putting a ripasso on the label and uh, you know the family all of a sudden you know it's uh, got uh, somehow <laughs> I wouldn't say the idea stolen away but uh, but uh, you know marketing wise uh, other wineries were putting ripasso. Yeah, putting you know the ripasso first on on the label, but and the DOC is even more recent. is is a little bit more than uh, ten years old. 10, 10, 10 years old when they actually define what is ripasso and how you can make ripasso, and then now finally you know it's very well defined uh, what you can do with ripasso. But yeah, um, ripasso and the family have a very very long history. So, um, Guglielmo, talking about your, uh, I, I, I guess, your signature uh, wine, the Amarone. Um, Amar- Amarone is, is a wine that is um, 
compared to Italian history, uh, wine history is relatively young. I mean, I believe that the term the term was coined in. Uh, at the end of 1930. And um, I'm a bit curious to know about how was uh, um, the the story in the sense of, uh, was it a success overnight? Uh, uh, did it happen slowly? Uh, how is it performing nowadays? Which market are uh, uh, currently the, the, the predominant in terms of demand? Uh, a bit of insight about the, the, the market of Amarone uh, nowadays and how it was in the past. Yeah, so first of all, again, the, the, a, a wine in the style of Amarone predates the name of Amarone by quite a few decades. So Acinatico was there at least from 1928. Then we have labels, we have actual bottles in our family, Reserva of uh, what we, at the time we called Reciotto Tipo Secco or a dry Reciotto from the early 1930s. So the family and the region probably was producing uh, Amarone style wine, uh, style wines uh, uh, well before you know the name Amarone came about. The name Amarone came about, yes, on the registries, uh, actually here on our main facility here, on our main winery in Villa Mosconi here in Valpolicella Classica, where I'm sitting right now. Uh, well, actually, we were not, the family wasn't owning here the facility, the, the winery at the time. Uh, uh, Somebody else, somebody else was making wine here, but then the cantiniere, the guy in charge of uh, of, uh, of of the winery here, was using uh, was using the name uh, Amarone on the registry, uh, and and that really was was the birth of um, of this uh, of this denomination. But they actually, the very first bottles were bottled by by Bertani and another another two producer, one or two producers, uh, at the end of the 50s. So 57, 58 is when uh, Amarone, Reciotto, Amarone was actually put uh, on the labels. And funny enough, when our family decided to go and, and invest in the wine and start bottling an Amarone, our family wasn't really happy with the, with the, with the, uh, somehow you know the, the the styles of the wines here in Valpolicella from, from somehow a bit too sweet in in their taste. And then when they had to develop uh, the Amarone Classico Bertani, they actually went and looked for a uh, winemaker, and they found one in Piemonte. Yeah, they very much like the Barolo styles, and they actually brought this uh, winemaker from uh, Piemonte, and he's the one who actually built uh, built uh, the, the, the the character, the style of uh, the Bertani family Amarone, yeah, starting from the 1950s, and uh, very much in this elegant, uh, well balanced, integrated style uh, with your uh, residual sugars, which are there uh, but not overwhelming. With your dry, good dry extract, but very much integration eh? and the alcohol content. That... Yeah, more, more, more elegant than uh, opulent. No, I would say exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, not looking for, not looking for this uh, exaggerated opulence. You know, over drying, uh, uh, over drying the grapes to get these uh, these uh, very concentrated wines, but very much look for balance. And uh, you know, the pickup was low initially. But, uh, you know, actually it was my father in the 60s and 70s uh, started going around uh, and, uh, in, in the States and around Europe to introduce the style of the wine of, of, of Amarone. And uh, especially then when older vintages became available and, uh, and, and the, the, the aging potential of this wine uh, showed itself, the, it really became uh, a, a, very, a very strong success. I would say that, you know, the name Amarone was associated with our family 
very closely as almost as synonymous for the first uh, 20, 25 years of, uh, of, 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 of its history. Then, of course, uh, a lot of other great producers, to be honest, came along. And, you know, and the whole region uh, very much developed the style. So absolutely, then, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's an evolution there. Today, in terms of market, I think uh, for us as a winery, Tenuta Santa Maria, we have... Uh, Always very very good feedback with our with our Amarone. So we are we actually our demand always outstrips supply. Although we are quite a premium brand if you compare to other Amarones in the in the, in the also in the Policella Classica around us. But although you know, I think it's it's a question of working with this very specific style and carry on the traditional family of, of you know more elegance rather than opulence, as you were correctly saying. And we do great, you know, both on traditional markets such as US, Northern Europe, uh, Italy, we're doing quite well, but also Far East and China, where I've been working quite 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 a lot in the past few years, uh, we see a great uh, a great uh, a great uh, feedback. I think you know. Looking uh, at the future of Amarone, uh, you know, the, I think the region has to do a better job in in uh, in uh, increasing the perceived value, in increasing the average quality of uh, of, 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 the, of the production, and uh, maybe work on some crews. You know, maybe more specific denominations, so, so to give uh, more value and uh, specificity to the single to the single valleys. And I think you know, if we do that, there's going to be a great great future ahead. Once once again. Once again, following a bit the Burgundy model, no? It... Absolutely. I think there is no reason why, you know, uh, the French, uh, yes, they have the cruise, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing the same. I mean, uh, we, we have that in, uh, in, in Piemonte, we have that in, uh, in, in Tuscany even, uh, and why shouldn't we be doing that in Verona as well? In the Valpolicella, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, look, one of the one of the main uh, uh, subject uh, um, to become an Italian wine ambassador really is uh, is learning about autochthon grape varietal, uh, local, uh, traditional, uh, native, etc., etc. Uh, my understanding uh, is that. Uh, I mean, in the in the region, uh, there is quite a little bit of a debate uh, uh, in re- with regard of uh, local versus international. Of course, climate change is a factor, play a role, as you um, briefly touched earlier. Or earlier, one of the things that I like about uh, your approach uh, is that um, I see I see quite a distinction between what you do under the DOCG and what you do on the IGT. Uh, more of a classic. Uh, uh, local grape varietal on the DOCG and more of a experimentation on the IGT. I, I'd love you to uh, to explain us a little bit uh, what's your philosophy. Uh, I think there is a, 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 some storytelling there. Uh, I'd, I'd love you. I'd, I'd love to hear it, to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for this. Uh, it's, it's a great question and a big topic here. But uh, you know, for us at Tenuta Santa Maria, we are uh, absolute believers in uh, in using only grape varietals, uh, local grape varietals, indigenous grape varietals uh, for the local denominations. So you know, for Valpolicella Classico and Ripasso and uh, Amarone Classico Riserva, we only use Corvina, Corvinone, Rondinella, and we are now introducing uh, Oseletta to the blend and you know, working on additional varietals. Uh, for the Suave, uh, Lepiga, which we produced east of Verona, we, we, we decided a long time ago to only go 100% Garganega, 
uh, with, uh, with, with, uh, with some additional work uh, that we do in the winery to actually uh, give it, uh, you know, a bit more of, of, of expression. But I believe, you know, that, uh, you know, also coming from what we were discussing before, that the future of, 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 of our region is about cruise, is about identity, is about expressing, you know, what's unique about our region. And, uh, and uh, we believe this goes through really local grape varietals, indigenous grape varietals, and we don't stop at that. We think uh, also in terms of vinification method and, 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 and the aging, we are also very classic. So for the Amarone and, and the Valpolicellas, absolutely only uh, big, uh, big, big, big uh, capacities of you know, woods, so big barrels, so 30, 50 hectoliters. So we don't use barrique at all or tonneau. In, uh, in, uh, in the Val Amarone because we don't want to have that impact of the wood on the wine. We don't have to, that influence and really go, you know, long aging, uh, uh, four years or more uh, using big, 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 big capacity. And uh, Suave, stainless steel, stainless steel uh, aging. And again, as you were correctly mentioning, we also do a great work with uh, a lot of work with uh, international varietals, so Merlot and Chardonnay and, and Cabernet Sauvignon, but with a completely separate uh, philosophy that we have there. And actually, physically, it's two different wineries. So we have one winery here in Valpolicella Classica, where we work on the Amarone and Valpolicella. We have one winery uh, in uh, Val di Lasi, where we work on the whites and we work on the IGTs. So really, really uh, separate. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying we are necessarily right, or we are we necessarily have, uh, let's say, the, the final word here on, on what's uh, what's going to be the future. Is uh, you know others uh, do it a different way. They use can use Merlot or they use you know Chardonnay in the blend with uh, Suave. Uh, I mean, they also do great products. It's only that we are very very convinced uh, on our on our direction, and I think you know it's it's at the base uh, of our DNA as as, as a winery that. that that we have this uh, this very strong conviction. Absolutely, I, I mean, I think I think it's fantastic uh, the the way you're doing it. It's uh, it's great. Um, it couldn't be clearer uh, the philosophy. Um, Guglielmo, uh, you just mentioned very briefly about uh, about the soave that you're doing, uh, the lepiga. Um, am, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> so. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I'm, I'm personally a fan of Soave. I'm, uh, I love Soave, especially, uh, you know, a little bit aged. Uh, I, know, I know that you are doing a Soave quite classical. is uh, 100% Garganega. Um, in, in, terms of, in terms of interest in the market, uh, perception, you know, uh, Soave is, uh, through, throughout its history, became a little bit of a, of a brand in, uh, on its own and uh, has got his own up and down. Um, I don't know, how is, how is that perceived nowadays outside of Italy? I mean, it's, uh, is, is that um, living a revival is uh, still a bit uh, uh, of, you know, um, skeptic, uh, skepticism around, uh, around this uh, wine? Well, how, how is that nowadays? I mean, I mean, it's a fact, to be honest, that uh, Soave has lived, uh, you know, Days where it was, uh, you know, the uh, cheap Italian wine uh, on, on on every wine list around the world, and and, and cemented that image. So actually, we have to work uh, when we present and sell the Suave, you know, in, 
in the US or you know anywhere else in the world, we actually have to work to actually uh, work against this myth. But you know, it's also true that uh, you know we work a lot with the Garganega. We work a lot on this product. There's also a lot of great wineries out there that did an amazing job over the years. And there is a market. There is a market for a higher quality suave. That uh, that uh, as as long as you know you work uh, correctly, you know in the winery, you work collected in the vineyard, uh, you have your identity and you yeah you have a clear 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 identity of the wine. I think you know there still there is still is a market out there that uh, that loves suave. Organic is an amazing grape. Suave is an amazing wine. You know, is is one of my is one of my is one of my go to wine when I'm uh, having uh, Asian uh, cuisine. So I, I could. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's I, I I love the I really love the good quality, high quality suave. I think there is so much potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we do this thing with uh, with uh, with finding on fine leaves for sixty days after the fermentation, where we extract a little bit of this aromatic character, uh, a bit more of the aromatic character of the suave, and actually, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's very well perceived. Uh, we're getting very good good feedback you know uh, Italy we're doing quite well uh, US UK Northern Europe uh, we're doing quite well we also had some some success in selling this uh, the Lepiga into China for example although you know it's a very small uh, part of the business still but but still there is interest there I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will grow soon. Uh, it, Hopefully, yeah. It's. I think it's a perfect market market for it. Okay, so uh, Dachima Aurea. <laughs> I haven't. I, I haven't. I haven't got the privilege to to try the wine myself, unfortunately. But I have spoken with people that add. Uh, I believe is a is a Merlot made with a with a, a passimento method. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And. Uh, is is uh, this is something that is interesting to me? Is because I've I've seen that now uh, even in in South Africa and in other regions of the world, the appassimento methods methods start to become uh, uh, a thing. And uh, I would like to have your opinion. First of all, how did it came out about the idea of having a merlot in uh, done in this method? And uh, more generically, uh, talking about Italian grape varietal, do you feel? There is another grape that would be um, ideal for this type of uh, methodology that perhaps hasn't been uh, yet uh, um, utilized this way. Uh, just as a, as a as a chat. Well, well, you know, we have uh, so first of all about the Decimaria. This is you know part the, the, the other side of my fa- my father. Uh, Next to making Amarone and Valpolicella, he was also traveling uh, a lot. Was very curious, uh, uh, traveled a lot to France, and, and wanted to actually express himself also with uh, with uh, with the international varietal. So he, he decided to, to, to try and, and, and make this uh, the, a great Merlot, but that would uh, be instantly recognized as uh, something from the Verona, Verona and Veneto region. So after planting the vineyards in 92, 93. We experimented, uh, uh, you know, different uh, vinification method, and we came about is uh, appassimento. But uh, appassimento very much intended uh, as a way to adding an additional layer of complexity 
uh, to the wine, rather than you know looking for concentration, opulence, or sweetness, you know that you usually have with a passimento in, in Verona. So very much not wanting to do an amarone out of Merlot, but making a Merlot that is recognized from Verona. So here we only pick uh, about 50% of the grapes, uh, a little bit early. So this year was uh, 3rd of September. We dried them for three weeks on half the grapes. And the rest of the grapes are picked fresh, vinified separately. They do wood, barrique, and uh, long fining and release. So it's very much the, the, the appassimento, this very short appassimento is, uh, is uh, to give this signature of Veronese style, of Veronese character, these you know, over-ripened fruits, these dried, dried prunes, uh, these very specific uh, scents and flavors you get uh, on, 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 the, on, the, on the dried wines, on the Amarone, and on, you find, can find also on the Ripasso, to give this signature uh, on the on the Merlot, but it's absolutely a dry wine, so we have almost no residual sugar, and it's very much you know more like a world class Merlot. Or we like to think that uh, one day it will be. And uh, and this also brings us to the second part of your question that uh, uh, about drying, you know, the other varietals. So Merlot, even if we wanted, we couldn't make a Mer an Amarone out of Merlot because Merlot has a very thin skin, thin skin. Uh, thin skins and uh, it will uh, dry no more than uh, three to four weeks. And after that, if you really dry, uh, dry it for three, four months, it would do, nothing would be left. So really, really, there's no way to do that. The, the, the fact that, uh, you know, in Verona, we have this such a strong appassimento culture also led to over the centuries to a selection of the varietals, Corvina, and, and within the Corvina, the, the, the clones actually have thicker skin and can withstand a longer appassimento. So that's why we have a variety of, of, of indigenous variety, uh, grapes that can do the passimento that are in the blend of the, of the Amarone and, of course, of the other wines, really because then they've been selected and, uh, in, 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 uh, through time to, to do that. And, you know, to do that with the other, other varietals uh, in Italy, I know, you know, there's other denominations which have been born recently, also, you know, Barbera, you know, there's in Puglia where they, 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 they try the grapes. It's, it's really, you know, in terms of generally speaking, difficult to apply the same method of Amarone, of drying uh, to any other grapes, really because, uh, because uh, of, 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 of they might not be, uh, they might not be uh, the correct, you know, they might not have the correct structure and, and thickness of the skins to actually uh, withstand uh, the, the drying. So, you know, maybe shorter appassimento it would, be, would be a possibility. But uh, Amarone, fortunately, is unique uh, because it's tied with territory, terroir, and, and varietal. So to say we can make an Amarone somewhere else or in South Africa, I would be surprised <laughs> they'd be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too, me too. I, I've, tr I've tried some experimental things and uh, I, I wasn't uh, that impressed. Anyway, uh, look, uh, Guglielmo, I'm going to go to my last question because you have been very generous with your time and I don't want to be abusive. Uh, there is, uh, I, I'm, I'm personally working in the, in the champagne business. Uh, so for us, uh, wine tourism, uh, experien experiential uh, um, tourism is, is, is a key component of our business. Uh, we'd, we'd like to receive uh, uh, as many as many clients as possible to our facility to let them experience what uh, champagne is about. And uh, I am aware that Villa Mosconi is uh, perhaps one of the maybe maybe is without a doubt the best property in in Verona. 
uh, when it comes to uh, yeah to, to a chateau a proper chateau let's say <laughs> um, I would I would like I would like to know what is your feeling about uh, uh, wine tourism nowadays uh, what kind of experience do you think uh, um, you can offer and uh, how do you use this asset uh, the this fantastic asset you have like, such as Villa Mosconi to promote uh, your wine and the region itself yeah for us uh, you know for me uh, i couldn't agree more with what you just said uh, with, with champagne we've been many times in champagne in bordeaux over the years and you know we're always amazed by by the great work uh, job they do there in uh, in uh, in, uh, in uh, with wine tourism and i think there is no reason why veneto uh, and you know any region of italy shouldn't be at the same level you know we have of course we don't have chateaus everywhere. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have uh, uh, the same the same looks or the same varietals. But I think, you know, uh, wine tourism is essential to the development of, the, of, of wine business. And, and and for us, it's it's an integral part of our strategy. On how do we uh, do we communicate? Uh, how dif- what, what we do differently? Uh, what makes us unique? Uh, and 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 definitely are investing a lot in that. We are open uh, for visits uh, almost uh, uh, most days of the year, uh, almost you know on season every day of the week. Uh, and uh, it's very important for us because you know when we say, for example, that we use uh, we still use the arele, the traditional arele for the appassimento method is one thing to say it. Uh, or you know to talk about it, show a picture is another thing to have uh, you know three, four, five thousand people a year coming through from uh, from September to December to actually see it firsthand to see how extensive uh, the use is that and and what it means and explain and actually feel you know the the perfume the the the, the scents of the appassimento in the air uh, you know in a, in a, in, a, in a cold uh, cold November evening uh, with a with a scent of, uh, of of drying it's something quite unique that you know I always tell everybody they should come and uh, to understand what amarone is they should uh, they should also feel that and definitely you know it's uh, it's something that uh, that uh, we are investing a lot we are uh, we are we are pushing uh, very very much on uh, on you know growing our dedicated staff to that, and lucky for us, uh, most of the people who actually come in season are from abroad. So we have Americans, Russians, uh, uh, you know, from other regions of Europe. Uh, it's 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 very important, and of course, you know, we have <clears throat> events. We also do weddings, uh, but that you know that tends to be uh, tends to be more local. But I also you know that's more that connects us more to the territory. It's been a bit unfortunate, I would say, for the past two years, for this side of the business, of course, for for obvious reasons. But uh, we've seen a great, great rebound uh, in the past uh, four months. So we look looking up for the future. Great, uh, Guglielmo. So from my side, uh, I I run out of question. Uh, you've been uh, you've been amazing. Uh, I leave uh, Joy. Do you want to add anything on? Uh... Well, um, I've been listening. It's it's. Uh, I loved I loved this interview. It was great. I have to say, there are so many questions that I could ask. Um, it, there are. Is there anybody on the floor that has any questions that they want to ask? Otherwise, I have one. Anybody? No, no, no. Okay, I don't see anybody raising their hand, so I'm going to go ahead. Um, Guglielmo, so there are so many things I could ask because I absolutely love your winery. 
and um, I love the wines and everything. And, you know, I've met your mom, who is a force of nature. She's absolutely fantastic. And she takes all the most important decisions, it's her. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. She's, 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 pretty, she's pretty fierce. Um, I love it. Um, so I could ask about sustainability. I could ask so many things. But there's one thing that comes to mind, and it's at your winery. You were just talking about how you, you know, your winery hosts weddings and events and all these things from with people from all over the world. And I know that in your front hall in your winery, and by the way, if anybody has the chance to visit the winery, they should, because it's, it's absolutely stunning. I can't imagine how much it is to, to um, maintain such a beautiful building, but the frescoes that are in the, the front building, can you tell me a little bit about the frescoes and the artwork in the front, in the front, in the first, when you come in, before you go into the back where you have events? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the frescoes uh, are, uh, you know, very much uh, uh, integrated uh, with, the, with, the, with the history of the property, which was built uh, by, ex actually extended, because the property itself uh, predates, uh, predates uh, the current villa from, what, from, the, from the 1500s. So the villa was completed in 1700s, very much uh, as uh, a place of arts. So where you would have, uh, uh, you know, it became what we call a salotto uh, for the local, uh, for the local uh, arts, uh, arts uh, um, scene. And uh, Contessa Mosconi would have, uh, would have uh, you know, hosted uh, people such as Pindemonte, who live on the property for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, and so the whole property and the central law is instrumental to this was very much built in, uh, in, uh, with this in mind. So the hall itself is a concert hall for what was called the Musica Chamber of Music or Musica da Camera. So the, the ground floor would be, a, uh, would be where the musicians would stand and, 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 uh, and the audience would be on the, on the first floor around the uh, ballatoio or the, or the balconies. And uh, the frescoes itself actually represents uh, uh, and introduced this concept of art. So you have what we call the Salone delle Muse. So you will have these uh, muses, the, the Muse Spiratrici or the arts. So you have you know, the Musa for geography, you have the new, uh, Musa for music, uh, um, geometry, mathematics, uh, and, and so on. Music, of course, that is very much, uh, you know, uh, creating this, uh, this, this environment that I can imagine only at the time, you know, how, how magic it was. And, uh, and uh, the thing also uh, reflects uh, on, uh, on the fresco at, uh, at the top of the, of, the, of, of the room itself, which actually then introduces this concept more of uh, connected with, uh, with, uh, with agriculture, which is the Four Seasons. And we have a representation of the Four Seasons with uh, the king of uh, the seasons, as they called it at the time, which is a spring, followed by summer, uh, fall and winter. And then very much uh, with a lot of these Greek mythology utilized in, uh, in, the, in the symbology uh, of these uh, frescoes. Very much uh, everything inspired by this uh, Contest Mosconi, which at the time uh, uh, you know, uh, gave a lot of input in the, in, in, in the, building, uh, in the building and decoration of, uh, of, of the property. And it's, uh, you know, it's something that also where we like to host events, we still host uh, to this day concerts, uh, 
musica da camera, we try to replicate uh, exactly the same environment that you had at the time, so with the same instruments, uh, so not the piano, but clavicembalo, for example, and, uh, and uh, recreate the same environment uh, from time to time uh, for, 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 uh, for a lucky few that can, be, can, can pass through. So it's... Uh, well, um, I, it's absolutely, it's beautiful. I mean, and every time I go there, I, I am always trying to guess because outside you also have statues and I'm always trying to guess which uh, classical god or goddess or muse you have, you know, as a statue. So, I mean, it's fantastic. Well, for sure, we have the most we have the most important one uh, is Bacco, and he's up there on the front of the villa, so that that is very prominent and present. <laughs> and uh, but also, of course, we have Zeus, and uh, we have uh, all of the um, gods, main gods from Greek mythology, and very much, uh, very much in the style of the time. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for answering that very whimsical question, because I realized the whole thing has been about your wines, which is, of course, the most important thing, but I couldn't help it because I absolutely love the property. It's beautiful. So, um, Laika, do you have anything to add, or is perhaps there's somebody else that has a question? Otherwise, we'll close up the room because we're three minutes away from the end. So, are you there, Laika? Yes, I'm here. Um... Yes, I think it's time to close the room. Um, we've already spent an hour um, during this interview, so it was really amazing. I've been listening to it, and I'm really engaged. And I wanted to visit Bertani. One time I visited it, but it was during the pandemic, but then I want to see it again. Tenuta Santa Maria, you have to come visit us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I will. I will tell that. It's so beautiful. I love it. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. It was the first winery I've ever visited and I've seen several wineries since, but it's very, I just, I love the architecture and I, I just, I think it's such a beautiful property. And when I see people there and they're enjoying wine and they're, you know, learning and, you know, it's just, it's a wonderful backdrop to um, the wine, you know what I mean? It's the perfect setting. So anyway. We try to do uh, you know, a great job in maintaining it. And we, you know, that, that, that's very hard. And we try to, you know, uh, integrate it as much as we can with the a, with a, with a wine side. I think one helps the other. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, the property itself. The villa was built uh, with this French chateau concept in mind uh, very much, you know. Yes, you have uh, yeah, the, 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 the the villa side for for, for, for for pleasure, for enjoyment of the novels at the time, but half the property was actually, since the beginning, a winery with extensive cellars below. So very much... Very much always in this uh, in this uh, uh, wine production mindset since the beginning, and you know we try to bring both sides of it and bring it bring forward uh, and, and 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 enhance both sides of it as much as we can. Yeah. Awesome. Super. Well, Luca, um, thank you so much for all of your your questions, and and thank you, Guglielmo. It was amazing, and. I think with that, I will um, go ahead and close the room. I, I hope that um, everybody enjoyed this as much as we did. And also, yeah, go I ahead. I also want to thank um, the audiences in the room, especially Melissa, Cynthia, Alberto, Clarine, Andrea. That's so amazing. For thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you. Thank you, Guglielmo. Thank you, Joy, Laika, and everybody listening. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Luca. Great talking to you.
And, and it's such a pleasure, such a pleasure. And we're going to try and put this on the podcast soon. And um, yeah, it will get a, a, a much wider audience because, of course, I don't know if I mentioned before, but there are some people that live in outside the time zone. And so it's difficult for people to tune in at certain times. So, yeah. Have a have a wonderful evening, everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign out now. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye now. Thank you. Ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chi-chin. everybody italian wine podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year and we all love the great content they put out every day chin chin with italian wine people has become a big part of our day and the team in verona needs to feel our love producing the show is not easy folks hurting all those hosts getting the interviews dropping the clubhouse recordings not to mention editing all the material let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs head to italianwinepodcast.com and click donate to show your love